Hello and welcome to the Golf Science Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Thompson, your golf science educator. Now in this podcast, we'll be exploring the latest research in golf science, talking to golf science researchers from around the world in the areas of nutrition, psychology, biomechanics, strength and conditioning, as well as other sports science disciplines. We'll be taking a deep dive into their research, talking about what they did and how the findings are useful for playing professionals, coaching professionals, and amateur golfers. So today, before we actually get stuck in, I need to introduce my co-host, Lewis Downey, PGA Pro, and also the owner of Lewis Downey Golf and Travel. How are you doing today, Lewis? You okay? Yeah, great. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be on again. Great stuff. Brilliant. I really enjoyed last uh, the last episode we did, actually. What, what were your thoughts about that? It was great. I've actually, the last week or so since we had it like I've definitely applied some of that ethos to my coaching and yeah starting to spread the message it's definitely the nuggets of knowledge I took away from that were really really important and it definitely affirmed some of the stuff that I was already doing which is a nice boost um, to know that you're doing that already. Yeah I mean that's, that's great and that's kind of what one of the key purposes is of this podcast to be fair is to really help kind of coaching professionals with their with their coaching so I'm glad it's kind of really um helps confirm some of the things that you're doing so that's great totally so today obviously we're going to be talking about super speed sticks um and if they're a beneficial thing to be using in a warm-up for example so have you ever used them before or have you kind of seen any of your clients use them before so um being up front i have a set of them um okay i i use them for clients when we're trying to sort of get them to generate some speed or warm them up at the start of a session when they've just rocked up and fallen out of their car, basically. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do use them in sessions. Have I used them enough personally? Probably not. Um, and have I seen many clients use them? If I'm honest, I haven't seen many people up the range using them. Mm. I've seen more golf teaching professionals or touring pros with them in their bag than I have an amateur golfer down the range. Okay. One thing that I would probably make a comment or hazard a guess is one thing that's prohibitive is likely the fact that the cost. I mean, from looking at the website so far, it's around about 200 quid or $200 to purchase them. So I can probably see that's uh, probably something that's a barrier, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, um, a lot of training aids on the market um, that benefit many areas of golf can cost very nominal fees to very high high fees and yeah not everyone's got that money to go around and they they might seek uh, distance and power or whatever they might be trying to achieve with it in uh, other avenues yeah and i guess well i guess it might not actually be that much money if the claims i guess that potentially they can make to increase the distance uh, actually come to fruition if that makes sense so totally i, I mean i've seen <laughs> Many people go and buy a 400-pound driver and uh, hope they're going to gain the 30 yards, it says on the advertisement. <laughs> mm, yeah, exactly. So today, we're obviously going to be talking to a researcher in this area in super speed sticks. Um, so let's bring on our final guest, George Wardle. How are you doing, mate? Very good, thank you. Good stuff. Well, let's fill in the listeners a little bit about your background. Um, so George is a strength and conditioning coach, uh, for High Performance Sport New Zealand, Athletics New Zealand, Triathlon New Zealand, and New Zealand Golf. Uh, all, the new, all the New Zealand in sports are under your name by the sounds of it there, George. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> now, you're also currently uh, studying your doctorate in Health, Sport and Human Performance at Waikato University. Um, and last year, you published a paper in golf, which we're going to be talking about today. Does that just about sum up kind of your background there, George? Yeah, I, I think the only other thing to potentially add is, uh, like many of you guys um, listening, I'm an avid golfer as well, keen to get out there as often as I can. I, I can't claim that I'm any good, but I do enjoy it. Brilliant. Good stuff. Neither can we. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about your paper which is the acute and persistent uh, the acute and persistence of the effects of a super speed golf weighted club warm-up on golf driving range performance and kinematics that was a mouthful for me there to start off with um so really first things first i want to ask the most uh, basic kind of question what are super speed sticks so the super speed sticks is uh, 
different sticks designed to be weighted around your driver. So the green stick is meant to be about 20% lighter than your driver. The blue stick's meant to be about 5% lighter around the same weight as your driver. And then the red stick's meant to be about 10% heavier. Okay. And by sticks, are they... What do they effectively look like? Are they like a golf club or...? Yeah, imagine like your typical golf shaft on a driver, but instead of having like a club face, it's just like a a little weighted cylinder, and that's how they control the, the weight of the club and the swing weight. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, I'm with you. And I'm right in saying that the shafts, George, they're like extra, extra stiff, aren't they? They're really, really firm shafts. They're not flexible at all. That's correct. They're very boardy, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you know if they have, are they all, is there only one set? So like, do they have one for every golfer or is it like different sets for different people? No, there is different sets. That's a great question. So there's a, a lady set, a junior set, your, your men's set, and then they, they've even got a long drive set now, which is the exact same setup, but they've just added an extra couple of inches onto the end to get it towards that 48. Ah. Okay. And I think if I'm right, they were actually going to branch off into tennis as well. Uh, that last I heard, there was, I, I don't know if that's right, they were doing like weighted rackets, so trying to apply a similar ethos to that. Yeah, and I, I did hear rumours, I'm not sure if it's eventual or not, about trying to get into baseball as well, because they're already playing around with um, donuts on bats and, and weighted baseballs and stuff in, in that area, so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get into that market as well. Okay. Interesting. So how do they kind of propose that the sticks um, should be used in golf, really? So there's a variety of different ways. There's um, from a warm-up perspective, and there's also from a training perspective. So today, in my paper, is just focused on the warm-up element. So we'll probably spend a little bit more of our attention there. But the idea was if we warm up with these uh, super speed sticks, the original claim when the protocol came out was we can have an increase in performance for up to 30 minutes. The training protocols, it's more of a form of trying to let go. And as soon as you remove a face from a golf club or contact with a ball, strike doesn't become such an important element. And golfers are more prepared to, to throw their hands at it and, and let it fly a little bit more with the hope of mm. trying to carry over some of that potentiation into their actual golf swing. Okay, I'm with you. And when you say meant to improve performance up to 30 minutes, what does performance look like? Are they saying you're going to hit lower scores or what, what's the performance variable there? Good question. So I think the whole target is around uh, strokes gain. So they've recognised there's an opportunity in the market to go, we know with increased driving distance, there's a decrease in you know, strokes around the course. So mm -hmm. if we have an extra 10 yards off the tee, then that's going to mean we have less into the green, decreasing our proximity to the hole, ideally, if we can still hit a good wedge shot, um, and therefore improve scoring. So I think the aim is to go, we're targeting strokes gained, and that's the metric that we're chasing, and that's how we're going to alter performance. So... It doesn't necessarily mean that if you warm up with the super speed sticks that you're going to make birdie off the first. Mm -hmm. But long term, an increase in distance off the tee should assist in, in decreasing scoring. This is a really interesting uh, pause from here from George. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening right now, we've got George obviously from New Zealand, so we're trying to uh, rely on the. Uh, quality of technology that we've got available to us but he will be back in a moment but one question i actually want to ask lewis at the moment is i guess from a dominoes effect perspective so if they're trying to this today it's saying that it improves the strokes gained they're saying it's achieving that because they basically are able to hit the ball uh further and then i guess the question is to knock that next domino over lewis is that then if they are hitting the ball further how are they doing that and I assume you're probably not, they're probably not here focusing on smash factor, but they're probably focusing on club head speed. And is that what you think as well? So without a good smash factor, you're not really going to reap the benefits of it, I would feel. 
Um, obviously, it depends how close you get to the perimeter of the head, <laughs> uh, away from the middle. Um, one thing that I would say is that obviously how speed may be generated from this process would be that because, like George said, you can just let loose, it mechanically your your body's going to revert to its most natural form of generating force. Um, so we're going to be looking at things like ground force reaction, um, hopefully getting our, our torso to become the main driver of the sort of the, the downswing mm. um, and using those larger muscles and, and the club or the super speed, super speed stick in this instance being delivered as a result of that. Um, so so what, about- actually what you're talking about there then is, so it's, it's the club head speed that I guess they're potentially tr- that is meant to be. Oh, we've got George back on now. So George, can you hear us again? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Good man. Thank so you. we're just talking there about well, what what from a Domino's point of view, we spoke about strokes gained. We then broke down and said, be well, actually, that's achieved by greater distance. But then, how do you achieve that greater distance? And we're talking about well, is it the fact that they're that they'd improve consistency of strike or middleness of strike, or is it the club head speed? And I assume, based on what I've chatted to Lewis about, it's probably the club head speed that they're suggesting it's influencing is that correct yeah I, I just caught the back end of that conversation i totally agree with lewis i do think it reverts to more of like a a natural movement pattern because you're not trying to control all these degrees of freedom and you're more prepared to be like i'm just going to let it fly because you think yeah. about um swinging a baseball bat it's so instinctive you're going a ball's coming at me and i'm just going to hit it and it's as simple as it is with golf, we we team tend to get like over analytical, and we're like, right, I want to have my hands here, and I want this feeling here, and then somehow amongst all that, we're trying to make contact with the golf ball as well. So I totally agree with the with us there. I think it just reverts back to more natural movement. The um, the kids that I I generally teach at work, and anyone that's like a beginner at times, we actually just we get them to go through just trying to swing as hard as they can sometimes, especially kids. And it, I think it's um, it's on one of the videos on the, the Titleist Performance Institute website, TPI. They mention about um, basically just trying to get kids at a young age trying to hit it as hard as they can because they're going to naturally generate the ability to create that force. Also, linking back to our last podcast, Dan, about mm. the whole external thoughts rather than internal. George mentioned there about degrees of positions and, you know, thinking about that external element, i.e. Looking, looking down at the swing speed radar, seeing how fast we can wish past it, um, rather than thinking in a more technical headspace, trying to get that number to go up. We, we both know that that's going to be way too deliberate in a mm. way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think I can see that tie that we brought in from last episode quite strongly there, and it's quite interesting. So... That's great. So, so we understand a little bit now, hopefully our listeners can understand more if they haven't heard of super speed sticks, so kind of about what they are, different types that we have, and what the kind of proposal for super speed golf, um, their kind of claims around performance, and that actually linking more with kind of club head speed uh, increase, which then results in increased distance, which then from a strokes gain perspective helps improve that performance from there. Um, so... Why is distance though? Let's just touch on that very that very point. Why is distance important from a golfing perspective? Tell us a little bit about that, George, from your kind of understanding in golf. So I'm not going to come out and claim that I'm an expert in statistics in golf. I'm I'm far from that. Um, however, if we're thinking like your standard par four, if you're 10 yards closer, that's around about one club lesson. And then if we've got more increased loft on our approach shot, our dispersion is going to decrease. And therefore, we're getting it tighter to our target in the end. So if you add that up over the course of the round, like if you can you know, use a training aid or, or a super speed warm-up or whatever to, to get a little bit extra, then long-term that's going to have its benefits. Yeah, and to, to, to feed the listeners in a little bit about this as well. So within my um, Generating Power in the Golf Swing webinar series, I talk initially about setting the scene, about distance and why distance is important. And exactly the point that you're making, that 
firstly, there are correlations that exist between uh, PGA and LPGA Tour performance um, and the distance they can hit the ball. So we're starting to see that relationship between them there. But then also when we start to look at strokes gain statistics, like the point you're making, that if we're closer to the hole, that means that we effectively have less shots to get the ball in the hole. Now, that will only be a fraction of a shot. But the point being is that if we're doing that every single time we play a golf hole, the likelihood that you will hit one shot less on a specific hole improves. And therefore, it means that over the course of a round, over the course of three rounds, we hit lower scores. So that's kind of the idea, I guess, around the importance of distance, just to give some context to our listeners there around that importance. And therefore, you can start to understand and draw the links to the fact that if super speed golf can increase your club head speed and therefore increase distance, I guess that's where then performance claim comes in to start and saying it can it can improve your performance. So great stuff. Now that we understand a little bit about the context around that. Um, why, though? Why, why would us swinging these clubs result in an increase in club head speed? What, what's, the, what's the science behind that? Yeah, so that just brings us around to, to my research and, and what I was trying to find. So at the time, I was uh, studying my master's. I was interested in this potentiation and trying to get acute enhances in performance. And subsequently, at the same time, super speed started rolling out this product, which... For me, it's like, hey, I, like I'm interested in this t- in this topic. I love golf. This is a win-win for me. So it's sort of how I naturally fell into this sort of pathway. Um, at the time, Superspeed only had uh, case studies that they'd run, and they had a, a recommended warm-up. So at the time, it was uh, ten swings with the red club, the heavy club, uh, with your dominant hand, and you sort of progressed from 50% intensity up towards 100%. And then you'd repeat the same thing on your non-dominant hand. So we're swinging both right and left-handed. Hold up, hold up. Then, so we're swinging, we're swinging one way with our right, normal swing, and then you're expecting yes. somebody to swing the other way, so the way they wouldn't usually swing the club. Correct, correct. And I'm, I'm yeah. not even sure I could do that, to be fair. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that is the benefit. Because there's no face orientation or contact, we're just asking you that, to swing it and, and use it as a warm-up. And I think um, the first you know couple of times you do it, it feels pretty weird. Um, but you, like Lewis was saying before, you start to naturally fall into your movement pattern. And... For a lot of us, that's um, quite steep and across when we go to the non-dominant side. Um, but it doesn't really matter because it is purely from a warm-up perspective and we're not planning on making contact. So then from there, we move into the more intensive part of the warm-up. So we've progressed from sort of 50 to 100% with the heavy club. And then we go all the way back to the lightest club and we'll swing it once at 100% with the dominant hand, then we'll go to the blue club, sort of that club that's right around your driver weight, and we're going to swing it once at 100%, back up to heavy, swing that once, and then we're going to go back to light and swing that one last time, and that's our warm-up protocol. I tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember that if I had super speed sticks in my hands to do that. <laughs> I, I've had some clients do it, and I've done it, and you, when, by the time you finish it, you are warm for sure. Trust me. Yeah, there's normally a few, <laughs> a few beads of sweat going on, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just, just confirm to me again the weights. So how heavy are they more than your club and less than your club? Yeah, so the, the light one's about 20% lighter. The blue okay. one's around about 5% lighter. And then the red one's about sort of 10% heavier. So sort of, it floats okay. around there. And it's, you know, it, it's worth bringing up now because we're on that, on that topic. Because for me, I was like, well... What everyone's driver setup so different. Like the three yeah. of us would have a completely different driver setup. So when it's supposed to be twenty percent lighter or ten percent heavier or whatever, like what does that actually mean? And I was fortunate enough. I, I had a couple of the um, of the sets of the super speed at the time, and I'll make sure I get these numbers right uh, before I disclose them. But 
I, well, I guess like... that's where you were exactly you were saying earlier when we're talking about the different sets of super speeds so that if you are a junior they will be lighter because you are a junior or if you're a senior they will weigh less because you're a senior for example so i guess that tries to combat some of that in some ways but yeah carry on correct and in my study i had both male and female participants so i had the the females using the female set and the males using the male set and when I went in to, to get all the, the clubs weighed, I, I was super fortunate. I went into some guys here locally, and they were like, well, how many decimal points do you want us to weigh it to in terms of grams? I was a, I was a bit shocked initially. I was just like, oh, two will be fine. <laughs> Not quite what I was expecting, but when the, the numbers came out, from what Superspeed originally cl- claimed when they brought out the product, which was, um, let's say that the light club was meant to weigh about 225 grams. The average of the two cl- two light clubs I had was 261.9. So when we're talking, we're aiming for sort of 20% lighter or, or whatever, what was actually being produced was sort of far from it in some degrees. But then there's that margin of error because for them they could go, well, everyone's drivers are completely different. So it could be... 20% lighter for somebody's driver. Um, but in relation to a lot of the club heads and driver setups that I weighed, it wasn't. And which which way, which direction was that, sorry? Was was it they're typically heavier or they're typically lighter? Yeah, yeah. All of them were typically heavier. So just having a look here, um, the, the super light, which is the yellow stick, which is part of the, the female set, uh, that was about 8 grams heavier. Uh, the green part of the men's set, it's about seven grams heavier. Then the blue's about eight grams heavier. And then the red was about six grams heavier. So we're, we're talking the all slightly on the heavier side, which is fine. It, it, it has its um, benefits as well. But it, being slightly heavier, especially the, the top end one, it's sort of leaning a little bit more to trying to encourage a, a potentiation effect more than necessarily like a, an overspeed effect. Okay, so to keep going with that then, so I guess the, the heavier end you're saying is a potentiation effect, potentially, and then the lighter end, is that meant to be for overspeed-related elements? Yeah, so there's, there's a little bit of a crossover in this area where uh, to create true potentiation, um, we typically need quite heavy loads. So uh, you see it a lot in you know, power-based sports and, and some team sports are implementing pro- protocols now where, and, and sprinting's a, a great example where we've had athletes in the past uh, perform one, two, three reps of squatting at sort of 85, 90% of their 1RM max that they try and get like a, a good neuromuscular connection and then they're, they're primed and ready to go lay that down on the track. Now, the potentiation realm is sort of what super speed's trying to target. Uh, it's a little bit different though because the load is just not heavy enough to create like a the same stimulus as it would be performing a heavy squat. Hmm. But we because we don't have that face orientation, we're prepared to swing it faster and let it go, and that has some benefits as well. So more of a, I'm prepared to surpass what is my norm. So when I revert back, either my norm feels extremely easy or my norm is shifted or elevated just a fraction. Okay. And I also guess from a practicality perspective, if we're talking about, like you say, potentially not heavy enough, but then I guess if we are thinking about a product that I guess golfers could have in the back of their boot or in their golf bag, that they don't have a full squat rack with heavy weights to be able to just do that just before a round of golf. Um, and then also similar movement patterns. How heavy can you do that movement pattern, I guess, is another thought. So I, I guess, is that where they're kind of coming into that kind of realm on trying to get potentiation in a way that's realistic, do you think? Yeah, correct. I, I totally agree. And we've seen it in baseball where they've gone for heavier bats and heavier balls and, and they've found that when they push beyond a certain threshold, the athlete's biomechanics start to to decay. And then it becomes a question of like, 
what are we trying to potentiate? Because if we just want like pure neuromuscular activation, are we better to get them, you know, the baseball athletes say to do a squat in the, you know, in the dugout and then come out and hit hit the bat, or do we want them to actually feel potentiated and free in their specific movement? In the fat case, then we we're playing with percentages either way of what is a standard bat for that athlete. Right. Got you. Now, the one question that I can probably hear some of our listeners potentially saying uh, is, what is potentiation? How, how does that work? What, what is it actually? So, you, so you're saying we're lifting something heavy, but why, why, does, why is that beneficial? What does that do? Good question. So we're, we're looking for, the, the way I like to describe it is we have a, a pathway and the first time we sort of walk down that pathway, it's more of like a recognition and being like, okay, this is where we are. This is what it's like. This is how fast I can walk it. Sweet. By performing, you know, the super speed or a heavy squat or whatever, we're activating that pathway hundreds of times. And so the message is getting more precise and, and you can't theoretically say quicker, but it's getting more accurate and we're getting more activation of the muscles that we're looking to try and use within our movement. Then when we come to the actual task and we want to go, right, now I want to hit a golf ball, uh, we're already primed neurally and muscularly to, to do that task. And so, one, we have like an increase in muscle temperature and you know some of those other benefits that we get from a, a good warm-up. But the main thing in this instance is we have that neuromuscular connection and we can actually lay down what we're trying to achieve. George, how long does that neuromuscular connection after doing something like that, super speed or whatever, how long can that last? Is that a connection that is then stronger over time, providing you work on it regularly? Or is it an hour, 20 minutes? Yeah, so super speed, when they originally came out with this warm-up, said 30 minutes. And... Digging into the research, it's like, okay, that's that might be a fraction of a stretch. So a lot of the research we have is probably the widest bandwidth we can go is sort of 6 to 15 minutes. So somewhere in there is where you're going to see effects. Um, in terms of like a gym setting, you see some athletes will be supersetting jumps with leg press or, or something like that, and they'll have sort of 90 seconds to two minutes rest in between. And you're trying to find that balance where you've performed an activity and you get this increase in potentiation and activation, but because you've performed the activity, you've got this fatigue level, and so the, the optimal zone is when the potentiation outweighs the fatigue level, and that's where you're going to get your best performance. So the super speed warm-up, like as you were saying before, Lewis, it does get you hot. And it is quite challenging, especially the first time you do it. So after being exposed to it a couple of times, it does become a little bit easier. Uh, but the aim is to try and get that potentiation to outweigh the fatigue. And that's what an ultimate warm-up is designed to do. So we obviously talk a lot about like a warm-up right now. But I think for me, thinking of like a gross perspective for any golfer wanting to gain distance over a long period of time, would you say that something like a super speed stick or that sort of training method would be not necessarily beneficial to the strength gain gaining element? It'd be more actually the mechanics improving because they're, they're trying to generate speed. Like I said earlier, they're trying to use their body in ways that almost naturally comes to them. Just like I always compare in lessons um, to a throw, a simple throw where we, we tend to, plant our lead foot first um, at the same time as sort of drawing our rear arm back and then there's that sort of that snap that we then release and and if I just stood there and didn't use my torso or my foot and just threw from my my shoulder or my elbow I wouldn't get as much power right so for me listening to you and, and kind of the experience I've had with them is they they're benefiting a a mechanical a biomechanical effect as opposed to strength. Is that right? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And 
if we tie it back to the study a little bit, that that is one of the things we noticed is like, I, I looked into a lot of different variables when I performed this, and I was fortunate enough to, to use um, uh, Qualysis 3D motion analysis. So any variable that you wanted to have a look at, there was a possibility to have a look at. And so what I initially dug into is like, oh, it's got to be something with... Um, the torso rotation, the hip rotation, that potential separation, and there's got to be something in that space where that's where um, an improvement in, in club head speed might possibly come from after using a warm-up like this. But what we actually found is the way the athletes shifted their centre of mass was what dictated a potential change in, in the club head speed. So if you think the, the most extreme end of golf would be uh, long drive, and you, you often see them, when they come away from the ball, they're shifting way, way, way to their trail side. But that's mm -hmm. given them more mass to shift onto the lead side. And yeah. the good thing about the system I use is we're looking for millimetres of change. And the overall, in a consensus, if, like not giving too much away from the study, we did see an increase in club head speed, and that was one of the elements we saw where athletes shifted away a fraction more after using the super speed warm-up and then used that mass to relay onto the ball. And so it wasn't necessarily the change in or separation in the, in the torso and the uh, pelvis, but it was more how they were prepared to use their, their whole body mass to strike a golf ball. Becoming more athletic, would you potentially say? Yeah, and like if we tie it back to the, the throwing piece, like you're not just going to stand still and throw a ball. If you're trying to get distance, you're going to step into it and you're going to let it rip. And so it's sort of turning golf, well, taking golf a step closer to that and going, right, I'm going to have a little bit more mass behind this and I'm going to try and make it a more aggressive swing. And like Lewis said, if you're using it as a training stimulus over time, one, it's going to have potential benefits for club head speed, but two, if you've got a, a client, a golfer, an athlete who is very rigid, it's going to help them out. It's going to help them move a little bit more freely. The flip side of the coin is if you've already got someone that's moving way away from the ball in the takeaway, then the super speed might not be the best thing for that athlete in that time. Mess with their balance effectively in the golf swing pushing them too far onto the back foot and impacting other sequencing, potentially. One of the main things I see is obviously, like, sentinous of strike, the ability to hit the ball out the middle of the face is obviously, you know, imperative. That really helps. And then, obviously, you've got the low point control, at, you know, where our club reaches its lowest point and is its contact with the ball first. Um, so that's where I start when I'm teaching. You know, I might get someone in there later age or inflexible due to an injury and say first thing you know i want to pick up some distance first thing we look at is strike and then we definitely move on to the realms of suggesting working on flexibility and and obviously things like super speed or you know uh, approaching a personal trainer or etc etc we sort of we work backwards in that in that direction or that's how i would work anyway mm. and and that's actually a, a nice little flow onto the study so if I just dig in a little bit deeper to, to help this conversation flow further on that topic is when I ran it, I was like, right, this is a super speed warm-up protocol, which we talked about before, and I'm going to create a standardized sort of club warm-up so we can compare things. So I, I've just went sort of a sandwich, a nine iron, a six iron, a three iron, and a driver. And you just swung each five times, um, and you progressed in intensity sort of from 50 to 100%. And the aim was to try and replicate the same amount of swings as you had with the super speed. Um, but it was a more, in my mind, traditional warm-up where you only swung on your dominant side, you sort of progressed through your set um, as an almost like, one, an increase in intensity from 50 to 100, but also an increase in swing weight, which is an increase in intensity as well. And then the aim was from there to go, what's the difference between two, these two warm-ups? 
can we see a change between a traditional golf warm-up where we work our way through the set and the super speed warm-up? And the result was, we do. We see that the super speed warm-up has about a 2.6 mile an hour increase in club head speed, which is what the intent of the warm-up was be. So if we're looking to try and increase, decrease strokes gained, an increase in club head speed is going to help us. The only catch, though, which ties back to what you were talking about, Lewis, is that the strike was affected. So mm. although we almost had a three-mile-an-hour increase in club head speed, we didn't have a significant change in ball speed. So it meant that the strike was actually impaired. So when we're looking for strokes gained, if we're not hitting it out of the middle and we're not getting the same ball speed, we're not achieving the distance anyway. So we end up just swinging it harder for no net gain. And that was one of the things I was like, okay, this is this is fascinating here where we can argue that the warm-up has worked, but in terms of altering performance, it hasn't. But when we, I guess if we ask the question as well for you about your participants though, I assume, um, yeah, I guess t- tell me a bit about your participants. Did your participants have an awareness and understanding of what super speed sticks or actually used super speed sticks before? How did they actually know what they were? How were they used to using them? Because I'm, I'm kind of giving a bit of a leading point here too. So tell me just a little bit about them and kind of about their understanding of speed sticks. Yeah, so within the participant range, we, we had a pretty low exposure rate to super speed because at the time it was such a new product. Uh, but the athletes that had used it previously didn't find a severe decrease in their strike. So their ability to have the increase in clubhead speed but then relay it onto the ball was the same as a a normal warm-up for them. And so you could argue that if you've had enough exposure with the protocol, it does work and it can be effective. Just um, what what sort of standard of golf were the participants as well? I just have interest... So the participants were all, well, they were either New Zealand or regional representative golfers, um, both male and female. We had a few golfers that were, were currently on scholarships in the US that had come back for the summer. Uh, they were part of the study as well. So the reason I used a higher caliber of golfer was because when it comes to, to strike and, and change in distance, that variable becomes a little bit more accurate than if we used a, a 24 or 30 handicap or so. Gotcha. And just, just to clarify on the point you said then a second ago, so even though you had people uh, who were in the group who were used to super speed sticks before, even though they were used to it, that didn't actually um, matter. They, they still weren't able to hit achieve the same kind of consistency of strike. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, so, sorry, I, I probably didn't explain that very well before. Overall, as a group, the increase in clubhead speed didn't alter ball speed or distance because strike was poor. If we pulled the little subgroup out that had exposure to super speed, um, well, enough exposure to super speed, I'll say, they did have an increase in ball speed um, not to the same equivalent as what you'd probably expect for an increase in the clubhead speed that they have. Uh, so you could argue that performance did shift positively for that group, but overall that data was not enough to outweigh what happened with the rest of, of the participants. When um, when we start altering things in a golf swing, i.e. speed or technique, um, which would would change technique as well, I do find that strike does disappear on us at times and I don't always see that as a as a bad sign so I do wonder whether as a group yeah of course like you know like you said swing speed went up but uh, strike went down if we pushed the study for um, a lot longer period of time let's say um, maybe those players may have started to find their coordination and, and been able to reap the benefits of that. Um, what do you think about that, Dan? Yeah, I, I think from what he was talking about there, um, I think 
I, th- I think that's kind of the same, or kind of the point, I guess, he was potentially trying to make there, that that might be something that um, we're able to recover from, I guess. If you actually train and practice a bit, you can actually um, reap the benefits. But as a collective, um, in the current acute kind of first off trying it, we're not seeing the benefits. So maybe they can see them over time. But I guess the key thing to identify too, which I guess we'll come on to now with George, is that if we're able to increase our club head speed by 2.6 miles an hour, great, we can get more distance. When you look at the research around 2.6 miles per hour, how much impact that has on distance is probably around eight yards, nine yards. Rule of thumb is about one yard per three miles per hour, give or take. I've always been sort of going off that rule as not being too specific, but, you know, as a rough guide. Other, other way around, yeah. One mile an hour for three yards of distance. Yeah, is that not what I said? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the other way around is uh, quite prohibitive. Is that what I must have mixed it up? My words, my bad. <laughs> no worries. Um, so, okay. So I get the point you were saying there, George, around the subgroup and potentially if they were warmed up and you, not warmed up, but used to it over a period of time that you might actually see that benefit a bit clearer across the board but what i guess we want to come on to is exactly that 2.6 that 2.6 isn't a large increase generally but again you wouldn't you wouldn't turn up the uh the benefit of getting an extra eight yards that's that's great benefit perfect but drawing back to lewis's point earlier if your research is saying the duration of this how long that lasts for does it really impact golf? So what what did you kind of find with that and how, how did that work? So let's just actually, before I talk about that, let's just get that protocol clear. So effectively, you tested the participants, you split the groups into two. So one were doing normal warm-up and another one were doing uh, super speed warm-up. You then got them to, um, after that, got them to do what? What did you do with them specifically? After having the, the, the warm-up protocol, we then hit five drivers. And we're looking at what's the, the motion under 3D and what's happening on TrackMan. From there, to replicate playing a golf hole, which is what I really wanted this research to, to endeavour and dive towards, is we went and walked 400 metres on a treadmill, which was set up in the lab beside the hitting bay. We'd come back, hit five drivers, and we'd bounce between the two until we'd hit five sets of five drivers and done four lots of 400 metres on the treadmill. Now, we were talking before about there being a 2.6 mile an hour increase in clubhead speed uh, from the super speed warm-up. What we found is that was it. It only happened on the first tee. As soon as you went to the second set or the third set, so on, there was no improvement in performance. And I guess the thing for me is going... Because there was an increase in clubhead speed, but no change in ball speed or distance, how much of a positive influence on performance is that? You could argue that it, it might not be at all. If I was to run the study again, I would like to go, what's the super speed warm-up in comparison to actually hitting 25 golf shots? And so we know that swinging clubs in air we get this potentiation effect and an increase in clubhead speed. But if we hit 25 shots and we've got better understanding on face orientation and ball interaction, is that going to be better? And I, I think that's probably the next step in this warm-up mm. phase for super speed. Now, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to unpack and, and clarify on what you just said there. So, so for clarity then, so effectively, we've got the people, split them into groups, control super speed warm-ups you then measured five shots uh after doing that then got them to walk 400 meters on a treadmill to replicate a golf hole and then you did that five times did you so effectively you met you then got to hit five more balls walk again so effectively you're replicating is it four golf holes or five golf holes five golf holes effectively well five tee shots effectively gotcha And so effectively, and then you're trying to see, okay, from the shots that you measured, you were measuring club head speed, ball speed, smash factor, and then you measured a number of biomechanical variables like X factor, center of mass movement. 
And then what you say and you found is the key thing here is that you found that on the first hole, there was an increase in club head speed, but no associated increase in ball speed. Um, but then every other hole after that, there wasn't any difference, uh, different, or, or there wasn't a change or an increase in their club head speed on the remaining holes. Is, is, that, is that accurate? Correct. And so it sort of ties back to what we originally talked about when Superspeed came out and said, hey, the protocol lasts 30 minutes. Um, mm. And the research that we have in the other areas is like, well, it's sort of more that 6 to 15. It turns out that the previous research was right. We, we get that effect on the first tee. We walk 400 metres, and it's, we're getting towards that sort of six-minute range by the time we get onto the next tee box in this instance, or pretend tee box, to hit the next five lot of balls. We've already lost it. It's already gone. And I guess it sort of ties back a little bit because it goes, what are you looking for in a warm-up? Do you want to just be warm and you want to feel fluid and fast and, and is that what you're into? Then totally fine. That's I 100% get that. I understand if you just want to step up in the first tee and feel free and let it go, then that's all good. But in terms of going, I want to know if this is going to make me better, the research that we've done suggests that probably not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then I'm. But I'm also thinking though. I know from looking at the research within warm-ups that an effective warm-up in golf, which you can do without having any equipment on the first tee, has beneficial effects on club head speed. So, do you need to spend two hundred dollars or two hundred pounds to that first point just to get the warm-up element, not the performance element? What What's your thoughts on that? So. I guess when it comes to, to making an investment like this in super speed, this research suggests that there's no real benefit to going out and spending 200 quid and looking for an improvement of performance. I think if your club golfer going out on a Saturday has the ability and understanding to have you know a little bit of a stretching mobility piece to make sure that that box is ticked and then hitting some balls on the range or even trying to match their own set in terms of swing weight uh, to that of a super speed, that would be just as sufficient and it doesn't require the investment. Now, tying back to some of the stuff that we've talked about earlier in the podcast with Lewis, like if, if you're looking for a training stimulus and you're trying to increase speed or alter biomechanics long term, then super speed could be worth the investment. But in this instance, looking purely at a warm-up and its interaction with immediate performance, I would say it's probably not. Gotcha. And I guess the other question, something that came to my mind just then actually, was when you said about if somebody just wants it just because it gives them that warm-up stimulus. Well, actually, sometimes by having something that is there that is, if you want to call it sexy or like interesting, it probably encourages you more to do the warm-up so even though i guess potentially it might not have the benefit or a different benefit to just doing a standard warm-up yourself for some people it might actually encourage them i guess to do that warm-up to get the short-term benefit on the first tee Maybe. see a lot of people um have something in their bag like um you get that sort of club like thing with a really flexy shaft with the ball on the top i think it's the orange mm. whip or something like that mm. you know i i kind of definitely I see a set of super speed sticks beneficial, you know, in, in regards to the training element on long-term biomechanics, like I said earlier, but maybe just having one in the bag as a warm up, as, as a tool for the job, like your, the, the, the sexy club you were talking about, Dan, yeah, um, yeah. is having a, having a tool for the job and maybe just having the red stick in your bag or, or whatever one you see fit just to get moving. Cause the amount of times I've seen people warming up by just massaging the shaft along the back of their neck and doing absolutely nothing on the first tee, just after they've had a bacon roll and a pint at 9am. <laughs> you, you say that like you've never done that before, Lewis. I haven't. I haven't. I just see it as I'm walking down the range and I'm like, 
Oh, why didn't he get two pints? <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it sort of ties back to, to what we see in this country a little bit as um, people being like, right, I, I need to I need to feel a bit of weight in my hands and I need to really stretch out a little bit. So they'll hold on to two clubs and they'll do a few swings with two clubs. Now, my argument is like, we're trying to do something dynamic and we're trying to do something fast why would we go to the heavier end of the spectrum? And I think if you were just going to carry one super speed stick, I'd probably encourage people just to carry the light one because if you're looking for something that's slightly heavier and, and more realistic, you've got your own driver. If you want something where you can like let the body go a little bit and, and throw the hands at it, then having the light one there is probably more of a benefit in that space than having the heavier one. Mm. Just um, as a question, when I have used the super speed sticks and I go from using the heavy one to maybe then using my driver or a lighter one, um, it does have that element where it does make that club feel lighter. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that yourself. Is there any benefit to that? Is that just a feeling that I'm getting that's just a feeling or am I going to benefit from that feeling? Yeah, so because we're talking such light grammage, um, it's more of a feeling than probably like a neuromuscular change. But if you relate it to, you know, something in the gym where it's like, if I asked you to squat 100 and then I asked you to squat 70, the 70 is going to feel significantly easier. Um, and it's that sort of same feeling and percentage where I would argue that the heavy's probably not heavy enough to make like a significant neuromuscular change, but it's enough to give us like a little, a good feeling reverting back to either our driver or the light one. So, you, so are you okay. potentially saying that the PAP effect on this isn't the, the most important bit? It's actually the overspeed element. Correct, correct. It's just the the load isn't sufficient enough, in my opinion, to to make a, mm. a, a change. Like, it'd be great to have some EMG stuff and, and have a look at that. Um, but as a, as a guess, that's my opinion. Yeah, and the, and the overspeed, is, is, it, is it about effectively you're training yourself to be able to swing it faster that your kind of neural aspects can try to be more efficient in producing higher speeds is, is that kind of the general gist gist around over speed training correct correct and you see all sorts of people going about it in different ways so um like it talking about the extreme end and some of the the long drive stuff you you see some of the long drive athletes will use a product like the super speed or the ripstick or whatever because it's like i feel freedom there's no face orientation i can just swing it as hard as i like where you see other athletes go, no, I need to swing as hard as I possibly can with driver and a ball because the strike is also an important factor for me. So there's personal preference in this space as well. And when it comes to the warm-up, like I said earlier, like it would it'd be great to, to run it again and go, let's get people hitting balls and comparing it. And so you've got that. The, the athlete or the golfer, the person that's like, I really enjoy having interaction with the turf and the ball and that gives me understanding and confidence when I go to the first tee, that might be more of a benefit to them um, than the super speed. Just as a question, obviously you're into long drive yourself. I saw that on your Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, champion, am I right, of 2022? Yeah, New Zealand, New Zealand champion, yep. What a legend. Um so what does your warm-up look like? That's a really good question. So uh, I'm a little bit different because <laughs> I'm very uh, feel-based and, and I'm probably not to gloat, but mobility isn't an issue of mine. So I typically look for more of that stretching mobility piece to try and, try and feel um, like I can get into the the areas and rotate how I want. And then from there, I, I'm i physically hitting balls. I, I'm working my way up through the bag because having that turf interaction and that contact is important for me. Uh, if I'm trying to push some of the speed stuff, 
I might bring a super speed stick. But the reality is, like, if I'm going to an event, uh, the adrenaline and getting fast isn't an issue. It's more, can I just get into the shape that I want to? And is my body warm enough to complete this task? And if I can tick both those boxes, then I don't use super speed personally, no. And if you were to go in regards to gaining more speed, if we think of our listeners, there's probably people going to be listening to this thinking, well, okay, I've got the super speed, I've got other elements. How can I go to the gym or go to the driving range or whatever it might be? Where would you see the best or quickest gain for someone to pick up speed? So if we're looking for like a, a training response in the pickup speed, I think... Providing they strike it well already. Yeah, providing that they strike it well. <laughs> I, I think super speed has its place because it, it does encourage people to, to let it go and throw the hands at it. But I think if we're looking in terms of an investment and spending 200 quid and getting into that space, I wouldn't recommend doing that straight away. I'd just go, hey, go down to your range, do, when you do your normal range session, just put 20 balls aside and be like, right, I'm going to hit 20 balls hard today. That's going to be my job. And then the next time, you might go, right, I'm going to hit 25 hard. And this is sort of how like, I fell into the long drive stuff. I started playing around with it. And, and when I first started, I would literally just hit 15 balls hard in a session. And then I'd just do the rest of my work. Um, and then I slowly worked my way up, hitting a few more balls with a bit more intent. And I saw a dr- drastic change very quickly. So I think my first six weeks of speed training, say, I went from about 110, 112 miles an hour clip head speed to 131. And I wasn't hitting any wow. more than 30 balls in a session hard. So that was no implementation of using a product. It didn't cost me any money. I didn't have to invest anything other than time. And it was just going, I'm going to work my way up from hitting 15 balls in a session up to 30 balls in a session. And if someone out there is interested in gaining speed, that's honestly where I'd recommend starting first is just going, I don't care where the ball goes. I'm just going to hit a few real hard. And your gaining speed wasn't supplemented by um, like work in the gym. I suppose it was only a short period of time, but um, do you, do you, have you flipped your training now that you do in the gym to, to suit your long drive uh, venture? Yeah, so uh, my, my training side is, is definitely different now. I think probably the reason why I had this big jump initially is I had quite a good training space and I was reasonably strong, but I, ne- I didn't really use it in golf. I was always the guy that wanted to hit like a quality golf shot and I wanted to hit my targets and speed was never a real consideration for me because I was happy with swinging at 110. I could hit it as far as I wanted and I had the dispersion that I I thought I needed. Um, But then when I started, it was like I took the the top of the can and I was like, holy heck, there's actually so much more here. Like I've got heaps of gas that I just haven't used this whole time. Now, you know, I was fortunate enough to gain like 20 miles in six weeks. And, and that's not going to happen for everyone. But I genuinely expect that people would be able to gain a mile a week for the first six weeks if they start hitting a few balls hard a couple of times a week. So when you're on the course now, is the, uh, is the long driver driver out with you? <laughs> yes. It's not in competition. <laughs> yes, it is. I, I, can't, okay. I can't say I uh, had it frequently during the round, um, but there's moments where I'm just like, Sweet. like if I leak it slightly one way, like I'm totally fine. So I'll just bash it down there. That was one thing that um, Deshambo made quite clear was about his sort of the strokes gained element. It was, was he was literally looking at an aerial view at the holes, going, "If I spray it, I might be in the rough. I'm not going to be in the fairway, but I'm going to be 80 yards from the green, and everyone else is going to be." 130, 140, whatever it might be. So he was thinking about sort of that proximity to the green, wasn't yes, he? Yes, correct, correct. And it, it comes back to, you know, the reason why we did this research is going, we know the strokes gain is going to help if we can increase that distance with the tee. 
and we are looking for increases in performance. Um, but in this instance, in terms of warm-up, we didn't see it. But in terms of a training stimulus, yeah, the, the super speed or other products or you know, hitting your own clubs hard, that's going to make some positive changes. And, and that will help you more long-term than implementing a super speed warm-up would for you right now. Yeah, and I guess that pairs very nicely, I guess, with what their training program is for super speed, isn't it? Around, I guess, that 10-week program, I think it is, something like that, to have those beneficial effects. But I guess what's been clear, as you've uh, communicated through kind of your research, is that from a warm-up perspective, the performance gains aren't really worth it, I guess, or even present. Yeah, I think you've answered all of my questions, all the bits that I think is kind of uh, interesting to pull and eke out of this research. Is there anything else from you, Lewis, before we move on? No, no, really, really good. George has answered uh, everything very well. I'm very, very happy with my answers. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, so the next bit, George, we're going to be moving into the quick fire round. So effectively here... Um, I'm looking for quick responses, but then also you can give some context afterwards, that's absolutely fine. Um, Now this section here is really about where you, and to be honest with you, I get to air out some of my dirty laundry, Um, and by that I mean the the things that most annoy you about golf, okay? And this is kind of the focus of this uh, section here, and hopefully our listeners and Lewis as well will relate to some of these. So... It's effectively a game we're going to be playing here about what what annoys you the most in golf on a golf course. So I'm going to provide you with two options and you have to choose which one is the most annoying to you. Okay? Right. First things first. Someone taking a gimme when you didn't give them the putt or your battery running out mid-round in your bushnell. Lewis, what were you going for that one? Um, well, that has happened to me, and um, I'd love to say I'm a good judge of distance, but I do feel a little bit lost about my Bushnell, so I'm going to change seats again, and it'll definitely be the Bushnell losing battery. That is <laughs> very frustrating, mate. Yeah, I've been um, there as well, Fred. Yeah, it's a nightmare. When it just says, I think it comes up with like lob, L-O-B, low on mm. battery. Yeah. It's not telling you to hit a lob shot. Um, I know that for <laughs> sure, because I was probably 200 yards out. Yeah. Uh, George, what was your option there? Was it either sticking with the gimme or was it the fact that your Bushnell has run out of battery mid-round? Uh, so I, I like to think of myself as very well prepared, so I always have a spare battery, so I'm still sticking with the gimme. Always held and strong. Okay, great stuff. <laughs> um, okay, so sticking with the gimme versus the green keepers have cut the hole on a slope. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I think I think that's just good chat from the greenkeepers. Like every now and then they've got to they've got to get their revenge against the the club golfer. So I'm still sticking with Gimme because I actually rate that from greenkeepers. I yeah. I'm gonna flip back to Gimme there because I have played greenkeepers revenge uh, at Redbourne where we where I'm where I teach and I've played golf most of my life and it is it is good fun actually. So um, nothing like uh, reading a break on about you know. A very steep slope. Lovely. <laughs> okay, so gimme's are really holding it at the moment. Okay, and then the final, we've got two more. The final one. Not being told about temporary greens before paying your green fee. Where's the green fee? <laughs> <laughs> so it depends on the amount, does it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you're, if you're walking out there and you've got a temporary green that's uh, running about four on the stump. You'd sort of like to know about it before you tee it off. You're going to be giving gimmies anyway. <laughs> yeah, true, true. So the assumption might as well be there that everyone gets gimmies inside a putt lane or something, you know. <laughs> Putting across the Himalayas is never fun, is it? So, <laughs> so George, are you moving? Are you shifting now? Yeah, no, I'm definitely shifting. The temporary greens would be a killer for me good stuff and then the final one is either temporary greens or putting your waterproofs on mid-round whilst it's raining ah oh, the the waterproofs for me like I've 
I've become very soft uh, recently and I'm just a fair weather golfer. So um, I would soon worked out that the positive for gaining speed is, is really fun um, in terms of hitting the ball far and that. But when it comes to playing in the rain, speed is not your friend. It is far from being helpful. Your shift did over to water, Bruce. Then, what about you, Lewis? Um, I'm, I'm going to stick because I, I, I feel prepared when I go on a round of golf. I put my umbrella in my trolley and I get changed under the umbrella, so I'm all good. I don't mind doing that. Get my Galvin greens on. They're still, they're still alive a few years later. Got to look after them. <laughs> so temporary greens, where one out there by not being told it before you pay your round. So. That was great to great to hear, fellas, and thank you for that for you, George. Uh, really good to to get your views and to air out some of my own annoyances within golf as well. is is great. All right, then. So that is kind of everything for the podcast today. Then, so it's been really uh, great to have you on, George. Really appreciate it, and we've obviously learned something quite valuable around super speed sticks and potentially where they would be useful and where potentially they aren't useful. Um, so thank you for coming on today. It's really appreciated. No, thank you, fellas. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking forward to having some more in the future. Yeah, sounds great. And where can our, where can our listeners find you, George? Uh, the, probably the best place to find me is on Instagram at uh, George Wardell on there. Um, as Lewis mentioned before, I'm chasing a, a little bit of a long drive stint uh, in Australasia and, and planning on heading to America next year. So, um, you'll see my face becoming a bit more international in the future um, but in the background I'll, I'll be continuing to go hard with the science stuff and you'll see some of my PhD work up on, on social as well Amazing, well as you said it'd be great to be back in the future at some point So Lewis, again thank you for being the co-host pal really great to have you on Pleasure to be here my friend, no problem at all Um Last week, this week, you know, I'm learning stuff all the time and um, it's a pleasure to be part of this experience. Um, to find me, uh, you'll find me on Instagram at Lewis Downey Golf Pro. Um, nice and easy to find. Great stuff. Thank you. So that's the end of episode two here today. Uh, in the next episode of the Golf Science Podcast, we'll be speaking to Professor Graham Close from Liverpool John Moores University. Now, he's the head of nutrition for the Ryder Cup and DP World Tour, and we'll be speaking to him about his chapter on nutrition in the Handbook of Golf Science. So that's all from the Golf Science Podcast. If you want to learn more about the science of golf, visit my website at sciencecaddy.com, where you'll find golf science articles, videos, and webinars. So until next time, I've been your host, Daniel Thompson, your caddy for all things golf science. <laughs>